Hello and welcome to Stories to Screen. My name's Lorna Child and today my mystery guest is an award-winning film director, writer and actor all the way from Dublin, hence the music. It's Jason Figgis. Jason Figgis, thank you so much for joining me today on Stories to Screen. Well, it's great to be here, Lorna. Absolutely fabulous. You have written and directed so many films. I was trying to count them, but there's just so many. Do you actually know the exact figure of how many you've been involved with? I haven't got the slightest clue. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally, there's so many. You just crack on with it, don't you? (laughs) I just crack on with it. It's it's a case of a lot of the films that I'm credited with. um, I, I did a lot of collaborations with an English producer called Tony Newton. And he does a lot of anthologies, you know, and he would get on to me and he said, Jay, I really loved the last thing you did. Any chance you could direct something for the new anthology? And I would literally go, yeah, I got a couple of days this week. I'll shoot a little film and I'd send it across and he would go, love it, man. It's in the next anthology. So I went from directing a few films to suddenly having a lot of director credits because I just wanted to remain busy while I was working on feature stuff. And I thought it's always nice to have something creative out into the world. You hand it over to another producer and then he runs with it. And he's brilliant at that. He's got so many connections with a lot of really interesting um, distributors around the world. And it was nice to be invited on board all of that and be part of it because he appreciated the work I was doing in the first place. So, you know, it's nice. Yeah. When did you first actually start doing it as a career? When did you decide that was something you wanted to do? Well, I'll tell you what, it was actually in 1998. I had come out of college and I had I had studied business. And immediately, even before I graduated, a job came up in communications and I ended up working in this really cool company called Radius Communications. And the boss of the company, a guy called Dave O'Connor, was just this really cool guy. Now, I had come from the whole background of, do you call somebody sir? Do you call them mister? And immediately it was like, I wouldn't call him anything for a month. And he was like, would you just call me Dave? And I'm like, oh, brilliant. Okay, Dave. So from that point on, it was Dave. But he was such a a lovely guy that he would always say, listen, you know, don't worry about this company. If you want to go off and do other things, we're here to support you. That's all good. So he he really got behind the fact that I wanted to start a film production company called October 11 Pictures, which was after um, my birthday, October the 11th. And um, he ended up paying for the company launch and everything. Wow. Yeah, like a really like you couldn't ask for a better boss than this guy. He really couldn't. Uh, he, he had been in the Navy, he'd been in the, in the British Navy as a communications officer. And he came out and communications was his thing. And he set up a he set up a, like a two way communications company. And then he got into O2, came over to Ireland and the UK, of course. And at all the whole mobile network really kicked off. So I ended up becoming a dealer accounts manager for that company. And I started making connections with people and some of them are in the film world. And I started thinking, you know, it'd be really nice to actually, you know, maybe start a film company and start making films. Now, I had been obsessed with this English photographer called Sir Simon Marsden. And Mm -hmm. um, I decided to write to him one day through his agent. I sent this really long email and not not email, actually a handwritten letter. Sorry, a handwritten letter, which I posted to his agent. And then I got a call a week later and this booming voice on the phone, you know, Simon, very deep voice. And he goes, uh, 
Jason Figgis? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, it's Simon Marsden here. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I actually got And he started laughing because, I mean, I had spent years sitting in the local news agency, sitting in a chair, reading his incredible books, you know, and mm. looking at his amazing photographs. So to have him call me up was incredible. And he said, he said, it's very synchronous because I'm working on a book about Ireland and, uh, and England, Scotland, Wales, oh. kind of Celtic nations. And I want to, he said, I want to do this book called The Twilight Hour. And I thought, wow. And I said, well, do you want me to go to some of the locations that you want to use and get permissions and take some preliminary photos? And he would like, that would be a huge help. So we ended up becoming incredibly good friends. And when so he nice. decided to come over to Ireland to, I said, look, I really want to start a film production company. And I was thinking, why don't I bring a camera along and film what you're doing? And he, he said, look, so long as you stay out of my way um, while I'm taking the photograph, do whatever the hell you want. So I started filming stuff. And then one we were driving around, my girlfriend Anne and I, uh, we drove from around the country. And it was an incredible experience. I took two weeks off from work and, you know, my paid holiday. So it was great. It was like I could combine a holiday, a driving holiday with my girlfriend, with this amazing guy, this baronet in the back of the car that we were driving around the country. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, he started saying, you know, can I have a look at some of the footage that you're shooting? And I showed him and he went, that's really good. I'm going to give you a bit more of my time. So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'll take my photographs first, then I'll reenact it all for your camera. So we started really getting into the whole filmmaking process. And to cut a long story short about that film, we ended up getting John Hurt on board because he was a fan of Simon Marston. He was also from Lincolnshire as well. And he came on board and he recorded bookending narration for the film. Then we showed it to uh, an American agent at a company called Pop Twist Studios in Los Angeles. He loved it, decided to take it on board. And within a couple of months, maybe three months, he had sold it to Discovery Channel. Wow. And they, they ended up distributing it to 150 countries across the world. And it was it played for three years, twice a day, twice a week for three years. Crazy. And that's your first yeah, film. <laughs> my first film. And so that that got me going. That made me think, God, there really is something to getting a sponsored camera from the local camera store. There's a famous store in Dublin called Khan's Cameras. Yeah. And they, I went in and said, look, would you lend me a camera? We'll give you a credit. We don't know where this is going to go, but would you mind? And they were like, yeah, what camera do you want? Handed it over, receipt, there you Sweet. go. So we got we got the latest. At the time, this was, this was 2001. Yeah. So at the time, it was mini DV. It wasn't even HD. It was mini DV tapes. Huh. And, and, and at the, during that period, um, networks were still broadcasting mini DV. So it was like, oh my God, we can make a film on mini DV and major networks around the world are going to show this. So, and it, and it just kind of went from there. And then, then I ended up being invited. The film was, look, this is, this is quite interesting. I was invited to the Nikon Owners Club through Gray Levitt, who owns, who owns Grey's of Westminster. They're exclusively Nikon. They ended up inviting the film to be the main event at the Nikon Owners Club dinner in, in, in this beautiful little village and in a beautiful castle, actually, in England. Wow. And at the castle, um, there was a woman sitting at the table who turned out to be Tom Cruise's PA. <gasps> and 
Yeah. And then this incredible couple called Stephanie Sinclair and Dan Crawford were there and they watched the film, loved it, and immediately offered me a job directing a feature documentary about the King's Head Theatre in Islington. Goodness. Oh, so that's how you got involved with that as well. So that's how I got involved with that. They ended up coming over and they say, look, we really love what you do here. Would you be interested? So I went from that to leaving my job because it was sold to another company and I just didn't really like the setup of the, the new company, handed in my notice and then went to live in England for the summer and direct this documentary, which turned out being, which also got picked up by this time by Sky Arts, Sky Arts 1 and 2. Yeah. And Channel 4 ended up showing it over a period of three or four years as well. And the DVD got sold in the National Theatre. So it was like there in the National Theatre being sold. So that was an incredible summer making that film with them. But why I mentioned Tom Cruise's PA is mm. because I got a letter from Paramount. I think it was Paramount at the time. And I can't remember what film it was. And it says, please find and close your personal invitation from Tom Cruise. And it turned out that he had his PA had said, met this great guy called Jason Figgis, and he made this wonderful film called The Twilight Air. He's your kind of guy. And Tom Cruise said, send him an invite from me to the premiere in, in Leicester Square. So from that point on, I ended up being invited to all of Tom Cruise's premieres in the UK from that point on. That's insane. Um, which is pretty amazing. And we'd be sharing like the red carpet with him while he's, you know, chatting to all the fans. And at one point when he was romantically connected to Penelope Cruz, she couldn't find him. And she was wearing this incredible red dress. Mm. And uh, I, I was trying desperately to look her in the eyes when she walked up to me and asked where Tom Cruise was. And <laughs> she, said, she said, have you seen Tom? And I'm like, no, I think he's back there still on the red carpet, still doing selfies and making phone calls. And she was like, oh, thank you so much. And I'm like, she looked mind-blowing. She was just so beautiful, Penelope Cruz. So sweet and just so nice, so warm and open. None of this, you know, Hollywood star vibe. Just, But that's the same with Tom Cruise. If yeah. you're with Tom Cruise, you feel like the only person in the room that he's interested in. That's so nice. He's got this incredible ability. In fact, and a very interesting aside to that is Gray Levitt knows Tom Cruise well from Gray's Westminster. And Tom Cruise turned up uh, to his shop one day and they sat down. He, he was only going to be there for half an hour, but ended up sitting with Gray for three hours talking about, you know, Mission Impossible. And they had a great time. But when he left, he, he said goodbye to all of the staff all the staff came in that day because they knew he was going to be there. So mm. whether they were on, on shift or not, they wanted to meet him. And yeah. He remembered the names of every single person who he'd only just met on the way in. And he remembered all their names on the way out personally. That's so lovely. That's, wow. that's an insane ability as well, if you think about it. Good memory. Take, I mean, Tom Cruise, gets, he gets a lot of crap. He gets a lot of crap. It's, it's not really fair. He's still one of the greatest stars in the world. He's a mm. really warm, lovely individual. I, you know, I can't comment, obviously, on Scientology and his beliefs because they're his beliefs. They've got nothing to do with me. All I know is that any experience I've ever, ever had in or around him has been a positive one. You know, so I'm not even giving you a chance to answer a question. This is more like a it's more like a bloody seminar or something. Or a no, I love this. Do you still talk to him? No, I mean, no, I've actually never spoken to Tom Cruise. 
Never oh, spoke. Oh wow, about. really? You just invited yeah. to his events? I was invited to all of the premieres, and I've literally walked side by side with them. But I kind of have this thing that. I'll only really talk to somebody if there's a purpose in it. I don't want to talk to somebody for the sake of saying I spoke to them. Yeah. Because because I think it's disingenuous, you know. I much prefer that if Tom had come over to me and said, ah, oh, you're, you're Jason and I heard about your film, The Twilight Hour and blah, blah, blah. I would love to talk to Tom Cruise. But just to go over to him to shake his hand, to feel like, oh, I, I chatted to Tom Cruise. It just feels a bit wrong. I'd prefer... We were just hanging out together and we ended up having, you know, a, a cup of tea and, and, and having an, yeah, an more natural. Yeah, where it's not, you know, this kind of the spotlights on everything. So so now I walk beside him for, for half an hour on the red carpet. I've but I've never never shook his hand, never said a word to him. Um and like I said, the opportunity was there, but it just felt odd. It just felt weird to do it for the sake of it. Um Needless to say, I'd love to work with the guy. I mean, I would absolutely love to work with him. And I've only ever heard incredibly positive things. So, uh, yeah, maybe in the future (laughs) with a bit of luck. But, yeah, so actually to continue this, because it's pretty much the same story, Mm. um, I ended up then, Uri Geller rang me and he had seen The Twilight Hour. Everything came from The Twilight Hour. Uri Geller rang me and he said, I've seen The Twilight Hour. Sky One are interested in doing a show with me, but I want to do it with you. So oh. I need." So he literally the same day, he said, I'm going up to the HQ of Sky and I want you to come with me and I want you to pitch a show. And I'm like, pitch a show? I said, I don't even have any ideas at the moment. He goes, well, you know, let's just, we'll just give it a go. And we went to the meeting and it was wonderful. And I ended up immediately just coming up with this idea on the spot um, of uh, Uri, Uri's Haunted Cities. And they said, that's a great idea. And they said, where would you like to go first? And I just went Venice because I've never been to Venice. And they said, OK, well, leave it with us. Leave us your film, The Twilight Hour. A week later, they got back and they commissioned this uh, film with me directing it. So I went from The Twilight Hour, which I just wanted to do, then getting hired to do Maverick in London, which which appeared then on, on Sky Arts, to suddenly doing a major 9 p.m. Sunday feature for Sky One, you know, a Sunday night. And it was mental. I mean, we literally spent, we spent like 10 days in Venice shooting. We spent 10 days at a castle in Ireland shooting uh, all the cutaway footage and um, kind of dramatic inserts. And it was just this whirlwind for three months of being in Venice, being in Ireland in a castle with full catering and crew and, and actors and, uh, and then spending the rest of the time at Line TV in London um, doing all the post-production. And when I went away, I, t- I, I was then engaged to this lovely lady who became my wife um, oh. uh, called, called Bernadette and the mother of my daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up going away for Christmas. And as a surprise, I brought her to Yorkshire, to Haworth in Yorkshire, you know, the Bronte village. And, and we even had a white Christmas. It was insane. So we, we went, we finished post-production on that film on Christmas Eve and then immediately went to Yorkshire and spent two weeks in Yorkshire. And then the film, when we came back to Ireland with the premiere of the film, mm-hmm. um, happened on Sky One. And they got on to me saying, we gained viewers all the time 
And we were up against the celebrity Big Brother final on Channel 4. And we really? Were up against it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And we kept gaining viewers. And it turned, they ended up having the biggest viewership in Sky One's history of any show they had produced themselves. And um, now, don't get me wrong. We had people loving it and we had people hating. But that's the yeah. nature of anything. Yeah. That's the nature of anything. You have to take the blows with the accolades. So it really, you know, it was it was a hell of, a, of an experience. And, and that really kick-started everything those three films kind of kick-started me going okay I want to really try and do this full-time and just keep going yeah you're obviously amazing at what you do <laughs> getting recognized it's by not, all those people no it's more it's more enthusiasm and dogged determination mm. and then learning and learning as I'm going because I made so many mistakes but my view of it all is don't make those mistakes again Remember all the good things you did, throw away all the mistakes you made and try your best to make as few new mistakes as possible. But keep building on your skills, your interpersonal skills, your ability to tell a story on camera and sound being such an important element, which a lot of people ignore. And trying to kind of put all of those together in in the perfect package. The way I looked at it is, as I make a film, if the next film isn't better than the one I've made before, I'm disappointed because I feel I haven't grown as an artist, Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker. So I think that's really important to always look to your next project as being the best one so far. And then you're always going to grow and you're always going to develop as a filmmaker. Good advice. I ended up, when we came back to Ireland, I decided, you know what, I want to set up an initiative called Teen Feature Film Project Ireland, where you would literally have any kids that, teenagers that want to be involved you teach them how to make movies and you would make a movie and that would be their summer project yeah but we ended up doing two two years in a row and both films ended up getting international releases on dvd and and vod and they were never meant to they were meant to be just summer project films so we ended up moving on then to doing an adult version called feature film project ireland we did another film again with adults And that also got an international release on DVD and video on demand. So I kind of went, God, you know, it's like, it's amazing that no matter what you do, if there is purity of purpose for what you're doing, there's going to be an international audience for it. If everybody really, you know, gets together and makes the best work possible. But what I found about doing those was that they really opened the door to a lot of kind of national interest. You know, I had things like, you know, Starburst magazine, which is one of my favorite magazines. I always bought it growing up as well. Monthly magazine, you know, cult films, you know, sci-fi and all that and horror. And they ended up reviewing stuff and they became a big supporter of what I was doing based on the films that I never even thought were going to get released and did get released. So Mm. that led on all of that work then led on to, again, Tony Newton coming on board, asking me to do all this stuff. But I I decided, you know what, I really want to get back to a a major passion of mine, and that is making uh, documentary films, because I feel as though I'm particularly good at making documentaries. And my friend Simon sadly had passed away in 2012. Um, Strangely enough, on John Hurt's birthday. He passed away, okay. um, you know, yeah, considering we we had, you know, collaborated with John Hurt on the first Simon Marston film. So he passed away and um, I approached his wife, Lady Cassie Marston, and I said, would you be interested in me make, producing a documentary about uh, Simon's life and work? And she was like, very nicely. She said, I wouldn't want anyone else to do it other than you. And um, I think you. 
which was lovely because she said, I think you'll really put passion. And I said, I will. I said, I wouldn't even approach it if I didn't want to give it my my absolute and utter best. So I did. I ended up Gray Levitt again from Grays of Westminster came on board as a co-producer. We had another two Broadway producers came on board and also Nikon uh, ended up sponsoring the project as well. So I ended up making what I feel is a, is a really beautiful and honest and uh, kind of emotional tribute to a great artist, you know, who was Simon Marsden. Mm. And we got some great talking heads and interviews and stuff like that. But we ended up then, I ended up also being commissioned at the time to do a documentary in East Anglia about M.R. James. And I thought, great, I was there. But so John was going out with Julie Abbott at the time, who, as you know, went on to play the ghost in Winifred Meeks. And she happened to say to John, um, you know that guy, Jason Figgis, who you were talking about, who had made The Twilight Hour? And he said, yeah, I love that film. He's in Suffolk at the moment making a film. And he and John, of course, was writing for Psychic News and he was writing mm-hmm. for Suffolk Gothic Life. And um, so he contacted me saying, would you be up for an interview? And I didn't get the, the, the message until I got back home to Ireland. And I was kind of like, I was really tired. You know, I'd been over there shooting this and I'd, I'd, been, I'd been still trying to finish the final cut of the Simon Marsden film. And then I just one day I was in my parents' house and it was a lovely sunny day. And I went into the garden and I saw the mess. I said, you know what? I'm going to ring this guy. And I'm kind of in a good place now to do an interview. And I rang him and he did the interview and it was brilliant. A really nice spread in, in psychic news. And mm-hmm. he said, you know what? He said, I'd be really interested in helping you out with the Marsden film. Do you want to send it to me? So I sent him the first cut. He absolutely loved it. He said, that is the definitive portrait of Marsden's life and work. And I said, well, thank Aww. you very much. And so we discovered we had a huge amount in common. And uh, we realized, Christ, you know, we could really collaborate on stuff. So what happened was Nikon sponsored our big screening at the British Film Institute and Hayley Mills turned up, which blew my mind because I adored her since I was a little boy. I wanted to marry her when I was a little boy, you know, and she turned up. So I got to a hug and a kiss from Hayley Mills, which just blew my mind, you know. And afterwards, she wrote me an email saying how much she absolutely loved the Marsden film, which and also her son as well sent me an email telling me the same thing because he'd come along with her. So all of that was absolutely incredible. But what what came out of it was John and I decided to have a few meetings around London. He said, well, Mm. would you be interested in collaborating? And I said, well, I'd like us to set up a company here in England together. And he said, what do we call it? And he joked about calling it West Vegas. And we said, but... People would be looking for that on the uh, the map. You know, where's East Vegas and where's West Vegas? <laughs> and then he said, well, I'm only joking, of course, that you're the established filmmaker. It would have to be Figures West anyway. So I don't have an ego with that kind of crap. Uh-huh. Whatever, sound, whatever sounds better to me works for me. I really don't care. So we decided on Figures West. Mm-hmm. And um, we. he said, what do you want to do first? And I said, well, I wrote this film uh, called Winifred Meeks. Uh, I was going to shoot it in Ireland, but nothing ever felt right. I said, I've signed up uh, Lara Belmont, who loves the script. Lara Belmont, of course, who had had her breakthrough hit with Tim Roth's film, The War Zone, um, and went on to make a lot of films before she pretty much retired um, to have her children. She has three children now and lives in Brighton. So so I kind of got her out of retirement. She actually rang me up and she said, Jason, you've gotten me out of retirement and then laughed, you know. So we had her on board already. And I said, John, what do you think? And he goes, when do you want to shoot it? And this was August. And I said, how about... Halloween and he goes Christ so you give me two months to organize I said well let's see how we get on so he ended up he went off with Julie and they found the house and he organized everything and I literally just turned up and directed the film and he had organized everything 
Really? And, um, yeah. He literally got in the house. He he'd taken some photographs. He described everything about it. Let me know that he really felt to it. It felt right for the story. And I and I trust John's instincts completely. And mm-hmm. um, because he he never he doesn't ever get it wrong. You know, touch wood. He's he's always on the money. Right. So I turned up with confidence, knowing that it was going to be perfect. And the weird thing about it was when I got there, I had written a scene where the ghost confronts Lara's character in the kitchen because I thought, well, you know, how else am I going to do it? And when we got there, not only was the layout of the house exactly as I had written it, but there was a bloody basement. So that's why when you've seen the film, she goes into the basement at the end that it literally was like, oh, my God, talk about a gift being handed a basement. I know it's a horror movie trope and the girl going into the basement on her own at night. And, and never it's go in done. the basement. People should know this. <laughs> yeah. But I love the idea that she had no choice because yeah. that's where the, that's where the, you know, it's the only way she was going to get the electricity going. So she had exactly. no choice yeah. to go down there. And she was living in the house on her own. So she couldn't send a big strapping man down. <laughs> to horror, you know? oh. <laughs> that's empower women. That's empower women people. You exactly. Know what I'm yeah, so, I love that. Film. And one of the things that really appealed to me about it was I do love writing for women. And what was odd was, or not funny about it, when I did those two teen feature film projects, I I wrote the strongest roles that I wrote and developed with the kids was the girls' roles. Mm. And um, because because I wanted them to be the driving force behind the story. So I felt the same with Winner for Meeks. I said, it'd be great if there's this really strong woman who goes and rents a house on her own to write her books. And I know she's going through an issue with a, an, an errant, you know, partner, yeah. a bit of an idiot, played by me, of course. Did you know that, that I played the boyfriend and that I was supposed the boyfriend? <laughs> no, I didn't, actually. I need yeah, to watch so that film I, again. I played it at the cinema, yeah. of course. I loved it. I know. I know you did. Thank you very much. We really <laughs> appreciate it. But Laura rang me afterwards when she watched the film and said, Jason, you make a wonderful boyfriend. You know, and I said, thank you so much. Oh, so that, was nice. that was very sweet. Even though she said, and she ended it with, even though you did the dirt on me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is oh, an well. Irish expression. You know? it- I don't know what they use that in England, but we always say, did you do the dirt? Meaning, were you unfaithful to your partner? Just cheating, or I suppose the young kids have different ways of expressing it, don't they? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But yeah, so it went, uh, yeah, it kind of went from there. So that was nice, you know. So we ended up then just putting the film out there. We got a, an agent in, actually, I'm not 100% sure where he's based. Let's just say an international agent called the Movie Agency. And they ended up getting us, uh, they, they got us a lot of offers, actually, for the release of Winifred Meeks in the US. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, distributors interested. And we ended up getting uh, Bayview, who were great, you know. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, very- very inclusive and they, you know, they keep you uh, informed of every different, you know, every little aspect of the distribution, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and um, we and then and then we decide, well, what's happening in the UK? And there was there was no movement in the UK. So John said, you know what, I'm just going to start ringing companies myself. And the second company he got was he, he got onto Pinewood Studios, High Flyers, uh, distributors out of Pinewood Studios. And they loved it. And they said, yeah, we want it. And it. And then suddenly it was everywhere. You know, you go into your local HMB and there it is. You know, it was on iTunes. You know, it's suddenly been picked up pretty much everywhere. I bet you so, can't believe uh, yeah. it, could you? It's crazy to think you write well, something that's out there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I've been used to the distribution, of course, you know, with all the major broadcasts and stuff. But what really interested me was the fact that I called John the British Bulldog, even though he's <laughs> a really gentle 
kind of guy. John's lovely. He's so de- yeah, but he's so determined. That guy does not suffer fools whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And he's really determined. If somebody doesn't answer a call, he'll keep ringing and ringing and ringing until they pick up, until they either give a definitive no or a maybe. And then he'll, if he gets a maybe, he'll keep pursuing it until he gets a yes. So <laughs> I, I loved the fact that our first film we made together got this international release on all platforms, you know, except cinema, obviously, because, you know, only the big budget movies yeah. are getting cinema these days. You've no choice. You're either... You're either film clubs or your DVD and video on demand or TV eventually and streaming services. But that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, that, that's all fine. The fact is we'd set out to do our first project together and it got national and international releases. And what more could you ask for? You know, Exactly. So what are you working on at the moment then? Because you're always busy yeah, every actually- time I speak to you. You're always... You've got some project going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm attached to several projects as well. Some of them are really big. I can't really talk about them at the moment because they all need to be they need to be kind of uh, really put in there, get into proper movement because the more you talk about things, you know, that are in development, the universe seems to hold them back on you, you know. Found that they as want well. you just to work. Yeah, you know, yeah, they want you just to work on stuff and, and kind of get it moving before you talk about it. So yeah. I'm always very well aware of that. But stuff that we're physically doing at the moment, we've almost completed our series about the English writer and philosopher Colin Wilson. I screened uh, the first episode. And when I say first episode, it's like a full feature length episode to Colin's family, his, his wife, Joy. On her 90th birthday, Colin's son, Damon, and and, and daughter and, and grandchildren, and you name it, the whole family were there. And I got such an amazing response to it that if I had written the responses myself, I would have been embarrassed to show them to anyone because nobody would have believed them. They would have gone, you've really, go, you've really gone over the top there and praising yourself, my friend. You know, so... Uh, <laughs> I, I, it was lovely that they that they all loved the work so much that they felt in general that we'd given so much respect and love and time and and detail and effort into the project that it, it really kind of blew their minds, which was amazing. So all of the um, there are two more episodes, and then there's also a feature link, which is interviews with various people who were influenced by um, by Colin Wilson's work. So that's already done as well. So we've episode one fully completed, we've episode four fully completed, and then two and three, all of the narration is done, and they're just being edited at the moment, so I'm working on them. So 2022, we'll have our full series of Colin Wilson films done. Um, I'm also working on a project with uh, Samantha Beckinsale, um, Richard Beckinsale's daughter, and that, that's amazing. And that, that's a project that we can't really go into at the moment as well until it, it really goes goes out there. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, that's a very interesting one, and it's kind of a documentary drama. Um, called love question mark so that's that's almost completed as well but then also we're working on the olivia hussey story called the girl on the balcony um which is um olivia has narrated it fully in los angeles so that's ready to go into the full edit i've ended up grading like she sent me like over a thousand photographs throughout her career so i've been grading and getting them ready for you know for for broadcast inclusion in the timeline of the edit and and that's very exciting because of course you know she had this amazing career being chosen by Zeffirelli to play um, Juliet and Romeo and Juliet in 1968, 67, and it was released in 68 with uh, with Leonard Whitting and uh, an amazing cast, including Laurence Olivier, who just turned up saying, hey, don't want me to throw my voice on this film. And 
of course, were like, you're Olivier, of course, anything you want to do. Yeah. Um, and then she went on to make, you know, incredible films and have an incredible career and um, is a great supporter of, of, of animals and wildlife in general and, and lives in Los Angeles with her husband, David Isley, and their beautiful daughter, India, who's forging a great career for herself. She's actually in the Underworld film. She plays Kate Beckinsale's daughter. And she's just come off starring in a, in a big TV show with Chris Pine. Um, so she's carving a great career. So we're working on that. So, so again, as you can see, there's a kind of, there's a, kind of a, a method that we're following, and that is doing high-profile documentaries, but only doing ones that are the official documentary as approved by the people that the films yes. are about. But then there's also the Shirley Baker one, which we're working on, which John West has written the entire narration for that. And uh, we're working closely with the Shirley Baker Estate and the Royal Photographic Society and a company called Build Hollywood. And we're working on getting that film completed this year as well, which is she's just one of the most incredible street photographers in British photographic history. So, yeah, we're working hard on that as well. Plus developing a ton of other films, a Bob Monkhouse film, a John Lennon film, you name yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. John mentioned that the other day. He said yeah. I could be an extra, <laughs> a lady on a train or something like that. Oh, yeah. Well, you could. Why not? The entire film is set on a train. So why not? Come along. <laughs> Yay. John Have Lennon movie. Absolutely. And get a little costume. Be fun. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's set in 1960, so you could... Uh, oh, hippie your... style. Oh, yes. Yeah, get out. yeah, you could be a beatnik, you could be a hippie, whatever you like. And my mother was a beatnik. Oh, she... um, in the 60s, she was really into all of that. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you for talking to me. Yeah, no problem. I enjoyed it. I was talking to John about that because we're always saying, oh, do you prepare anything for an interview? And well, he was saying the only thing he would pre- prepare is if he's talking about the paranormal. Or he's talking about history. He just wants to make sure he gets his dates. You know, yeah. And figures but I never prepare anything because I kind of go, well, it's it's my experience I'm talking about. I'm, exactly. I'm not talking about, you know, I don't need to pick out, oh, on the 4th of August, we interviewed Michael Winner. You know, it's not that no. kind of thing. It's general. I mean, um, you could do an interview alone about the making of America in London. Let me tell you, my God, that was some summer. Those three months were pretty mind blowing. But um, yeah, for another day. Be our next <laughs> podcast then. <laughs> Feel free. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was just, I mean, it was literally a who's who of British theatre and film. Really incredible. Mm. Although I will say one of the highlights for me of making films so far was Joanna Lumley turning up. On, on set to do her interview for Maverick in London, our Sky Arts film, and her being really, really lovely to me, very sweet. And at the end of the interview, she took my hand in both of her hands and says, what a wonderful time I've had with Jason. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Joanna Lovely is like, wow. She's great, but it got better than that, right? So um, we ended up getting photographs taken together. And because I'm big, she was kind of making the joke, oh, are you sure we're both in the frame? I'm not usually <laughs> photographed with such large men and all of that. And that was great. So I said, um, I said, like, would you mind when she was leaving? I said, would you mind? A friend of mine runs a famous video store in Dublin called Laser. And I said, he's a massive fan of the TV series you did with David McCallum, Sapphire and Steel. And she said, oh, wonderful. I said, would you mind, you know, doing an autograph? And she said, I'll tell you what, darling, walk me to my car and I'll do it down there. Okay, I've got I've got pens and paper and everything and we'll do that. And uh, so I literally walked her the entire length of Upper Street with her linking my arm. And 
everybody did a double take on the street. And I was like, talk about feeling cool. You know, I'm walking up Upper Street with Joanna Lumley on my arm, you know. And when we got to the car, she end, she said, where, where am I going to do this? She said, bend over, darling. And she leaned on my back and drew a picture for this guy, for this friend of mine. And she did all these, you know, sparkles and, and lightning and all this stuff saying lots of love from Sapphire and then, you know, and then also from Purdy and also from Joe. And and she just, the, you know, she drew this amazing thing leaning on my back at her car. What a lovely lady. Like, <laughs> such a lovely woman. And it was just the most surreal experience, you know, because because I'd grown up with the with the new Avengers, her as Purdy. And I'd grown up with Sapphire and Steel. And I'd grown up, you know, seeing her in Hammer movies, you know, and playing the, you know, the the bride or whatever, you know, or or as a Bond girl in uh, uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby. And it was kind of like, wow, talk about an iconic figure, you know, and here she is just hanging out like we're all pals. So, yeah, that, that was a major highlight, major highlight. I bet it was. Wasn't Richard E. Grant connected as well? Yeah. Richard, he spent the day at his house in Richmond and couldn't have been a nicer guy. He actually believes that his career, um, Dan Crawford, who ran the King's Head Theatre, um, he said that he feels that he owes his career to Dan Crawford because he gave him his big break. And then reviewers started seeing him and, and giving him great reviews and an agent picked him up and he went from there. So really, the start of his career was down to Dan Crawford seeing spark of talent in this South African young man and, uh, and bringing him on board. Yeah. And, lived, and beautiful house in Richmond. Spent the day with him there, hanging out, looking at his collection so cool. of ventriloquist dummies and stuff. Yeah, we had a great time. I appreciate you talking to me. Thank you. I know it's a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. It really is. I have to get my um, 60s hippie costume ready then for the film. <laughs> we do. We'll be, we'll be ringing you saying, where the hell are you? Why aren't you here? And you're like, I'll well, you got to give me a bit of notice. No, we're here now. We're filming at the Bluebell Railway. We're either going to use the Bluebell or we're going to use the Worth Valley up okay. in Yorkshire. So it'll be one or the other. Yeah, it'll be funny. Oh, wow. Daisy yeah. chains around my hair. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, we, and we have a fabulous young actress called Emily Haig attached to play the, the female interest in the film. It's, it's pretty much a two-hander. It's John Lennon and this woman, um, the young woman that he meets on the train. And uh, it's not romantic. It's just a really kind of strong drama. Um, mm. But this incredible young actress called Emily Haig who's starting to really make... Um, make a name for herself in the UK. Um, very strong actress, yeah. Oh, exciting. Yeah, so. It'd be nice to meet yeah. you in person. That'd be oh, really nice yeah, and I'd love, Yeah, I'd love to meet you properly, Lorna. Absolutely, absolutely. And we have to collaborate on something, you know? Oh, yes, please, definitely. I'm well up for that. Yeah. I've always got ideas in my head, so I just need to get them down on paper. Yeah, no, we got it. <laughs> we got it. We absolutely have to do that. I agree with you.
begin. That was the lovely Jason Figgis talking to me then on Stories to Screen. I hope you enjoyed it. And thanks for listening. I'm off to get my hippie outfit sorted for the film. Take care. Speak to you soon. Bye.